Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This being uh, New Year's Day, millions, if not billions of people, uh, are making New Year's resolutions. Now, to change uh, something in the coming year is usually what we try to focus on in our resolutions. Now, if you have done that, perhaps in the past, or perhaps you're doing it again this year, what is the most frustrating thing about New Year's resolutions? Not keeping them, right? So, uh, very often we make these commitments and you know, we wonder, why do we even do it if we know that we're not going to keep it? Well, uh, every single human being has a deep desire in their hearts for change. We know things are not as they should be, and so we are hoping for life to be better. But when we limit ourselves to man's method for improving life, we will always be disappointed. Now, instead of focusing on New Year's resolutions, we will focus on Christ and on covenant renewal through Him. And so, the Lord relates to His people by the new covenant. And so, the Lord is going to show us from our uh, text this morning what it means for Him to relate to us and make us more and more like Jesus. So, if you would like to see that change in your life, to become more like Jesus, follow with me as I read our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 32. This is the Word of our God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself." That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Please pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Just to give a little context of uh, the New Year's resolution, uh, this idea uh, began in ancient times uh, all the way back in Babylon over 4,000 years ago. The Babylonians would often make the resolution to return something uh, that was borrowed uh, over uh, the New Year. Now, can you just imagine if you got back everything you lent out uh, last year, it'd be like Christmas all over again. So, uh, that's kind of a nice thing. But the Romans continued that tradition, uh, and they uh, made the resolution to seek forgiveness of enemies uh, that they had made over the previous year. Now, as you know, modern New Year's resolutions mostly focus on health, wealth, and family. I wonder why that is. Well, 
probably because during Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's the time that you eat the most, spend the most, and see your family the most, right? If you uh, are guilty of eating too much, then you naturally lead you to want to eat less and exercise more in the new year. Maybe the guilt of spending too much on our credit cards, right? For Christmas presents, we feel like, oh man, I need to spend less or make more in the new year. Or the extra time with family, we feel guilty like, oh, we should spend more time with each other during the year. So this year is going to be different, right? So as well-intended as people's resolutions are, the vast majority of them fail before January is over. And so we need to stop putting our trust in ourselves and in commitments that have no real accountability. The Lord relates to us as a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And we have been given a covenant renewal ceremony that we enjoy on the first Sunday of every year. And today just happens to be New Year's Day. Now, we may think about communion as a somber celebration for how it reminds us of Christ's sacrifice, Uh, but it was uh, not as common, perhaps, maybe in your thinking uh, that this is actually a covenant renewal ceremony. I was greatly helped by the Puritan uh, Edmund Calamy, Uh, who made a significant case for communion as a time of renewing uh, our vows to becoming more like Christ. Now, to partake of communion in a worthy manner, we receive the whole Christ by faith. And it was John Calvin, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and Francis Turretin that have helped us see the significance of the threefold office that Jesus has of prophet, priest, and and king. Jesus demonstrates these three offices in our text today. And so we will learn to receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner by faith and renew our submission to Christ as king and to receive the whole Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And so we learn, first of all, the promise that Christ the prophet overcomes ignorance. Christ the prophet overcomes ignorance. Look again at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now, the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians, he received the gospel message and the practice of communion, and it was his responsibility to pass it on to the church and to help them to practice it in a faithful way. Paul began this very letter in verse 1 when he said, that he was called by the will of God to be an apostle, so an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, an apostle is an authoritative messenger, right, who delivers what the Lord has given to him to faithfully bring it to God's people. Now, Paul did not invent the Lord's Supper. No, the greatest prophet, the Lord Jesus, instituted communion as a fulfillment of the Passover, right? Moses was the first prophet to enact the Passover based on God's instruction. And after that time, we read in Deuteronomy 18.18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He not only brings us 
the Word of God, but Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, right, in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of all that the prophets have spoken throughout all of the Old Testament from the very beginning of God's revelation. And so, He has the authority, Jesus has the authority to renew the Passover and to inaugurate the new covenant at that particular time with His disciples by creating the Lord's Supper. So, as the greatest prophet, Jesus enables us to receive the fullness of the grace of God by faith alone, right? To partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we must do so by saving faith. We know from Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so, as prophet, Jesus overcomes our ignorance. And so, we learn first that saving faith requires the knowledge of Christ's person, right? The first sub-point is saving faith requires the knowledge of Christ's person. Look at the end of verse 23, that the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised Savior. He instituted the Lord's Supper on the night He was betrayed. He taught us to understand communion correctly by seeing that it points us to who He is. He is, or He says, this is my body, this is my blood. And so, I will focus more on the idea of Him in His substitutionary sacrifice when we look at Him as priest, but for now, looking with the eyes of faith at the person of Jesus, the prophet Jesus and promised Savior. We have to uh, see that with the knowledge that's given to us from the Scriptures. But saving faith is not just knowing about Jesus, it's actually belief in Christ's work right? Saving faith is not just the information, but it's actually believing Jesus is who He says He is and that He did what He said that He did. But receiving the whole Christ by faith in a worthy manner is not just believing it's true, but thirdly, it's actually trusting in Christ's promises. Saving faith requires trust in Christ's promises. Look at verse 25. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Now, this remembrance is not a mere memorial. It's looking on the elements that point us to Christ's body being broken in your place, right? His blood being poured out to death for you. Saving faith is trusting that Uh, promise of Christ. And so, I would encourage you that when the elements are passed out, that you would look at those elements in your hand and pause for a moment, right? We've already confessed our our sins, but perhaps there's other sins that come to mind during the sermon or uh, in your mind when you're sitting there holding those elements and you're confessing uh, those to the Lord. Do you believe that the sins that you confess to the Lord actually deserve eternal punishment of hell for offending a holy and eternal God. If, if that is not what you understand your sins 
uh, deserve, then it's, we cannot partake of communion in a worthy manner. We have to recognize what our sins actually deserve, and that it's not you that was broken, but it was Christ in your place. Do you believe that your sins deserve eternal death and separation from the grace of God forever? And then you look at the cup and you realize, it's not me that was rejected. It's not my blood that was poured out. It was Christ's blood in my place. And so, knowing, believing, and trusting these promises is how we can partake of the supper in a worthy manner. But Jesus goes a step further to make us like Him. He makes us His prophets. We are called to proclaim the gospel to all nations. We have been given the Great Commission, and even by by celebrating this supper, we have an opportunity to be prophets in verse 26. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so, every time you hear the institution read and a pastor explain it, and as we partake by faith in the promises of Christ contained in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim as faithful prophets the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it's to those that are seeing it on the internet, it's to those that are here in our presence, uh, it's to however far that message goes. But we also have to recognize it's also to the children of the church. Now, just think about how the Lord has designed the curiosity of children and how calling them to not partake uh, is, is, you know, why is everybody getting to do this except for me, right? There's a natural curiosity that is there, and it gives parents the opportunity to explain and to proclaim the life and death of Jesus Christ. If you would like help with that. Please contact any of your pastors. We would love to walk alongside you as you do that with your children. Pastor Dan leads a communicants class uh, to enable our children and youth to make a credible profession of faith and to know what it is to partake of the supper in a worthy manner. But Christ is not only a prophet who overcomes our ignorance, right? We learn secondly that Christ is the priest who overcomes guilt, Right? First, the prophet overcomes ignorance, but also the priest that overcomes guilt. Look at verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus did not offer the blood of bulls and goats, but He offered His own body and blood as the Passover lamb. Now, we learn most about Jesus' role as our great high priest from the book of Hebrews. We learn in chapter 9, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption." I would encourage you to spend more time in the book of Hebrews learning about what 
it is to see Christ as our great high priest, but at least observe that when He made a sacrifice, it was once for all. It was not the continual sacrifices that the priests offered in the, the time of the Levitical priests, right? He offered it once for all to redeem us eternally in that one sacrifice, and that it is the perfect fulfillment uh, of the only way that we can have our guilt taken away. So, to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we must trust Christ alone could become our substitute and take the penalty for our guilt upon Himself once for all. We learn in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And so, if we just partake of this supper as a tradition, right, we don't grasp the fullness of God's promises being fulfilled in Christ by faith, then we were eating in an unworthy manner, and our guilt remains. But Jesus invites us to serve as priest of our own consciences in verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so, if you look at your life and you say, man, you know, I know I'm a sinner. You know, nobody's perfect. No big deal. Well, that's not a thorough exam of your life. We began this morning a series of confessions using the Ten Commandments, and we're going to also use the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, The Ten Commandments are a summary, and the Larger Catechism enables us to um, unpack uh, each of those commandments in a much broader way throughout the rest of Scripture, helping us to realize how much is going on when we break each of those commandments. Now, we sin against the Lord far more uh, by sins of omission than we really realize. I mean, I remember as a new Christian learning that I could be sitting at home and doing nothing and sinning against the Lord because I'm not actively doing what He has commanded me to do, and that just blew my mind. But we also transgress, right? We also have sins of commission. We commit sins. We cross the boundaries uh, that God has set up like guardrails to protect us from the destruction that comes from breaking His commands. And so, I would encourage you to pick up the Westminster Larger Catechism and spend some time using it as a tool for yourself in your own self-examination and confessing those sins to the Lord. Uh, This last week, uh, I put into your mailbox, and I also emailed uh, those who are on our email list, uh, another tool called Characteristics of the Self-Life. And this uses God's Word to prick our consciences in many of the most common ways that we sin against the Lord. That was uh, a tool that was given to me when I first became a Christian about 25 years ago. Uh, at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and one that I have found very helpful, so I hope it was helpful to you. But we have to understand that these tools, the, the, the purpose of it is not just to heap guilt and more guilt and more guilt on your head until you just feel as horrible as you possibly can and feel righteous for feeling horrible. Like, that's, that's not the goal is to keep that guilt uh, born on your shoulders, right? That's what the devil wants to do. The devil is the one who is the accuser of the saints. He wants you to keep that guilt the whole time and just live defeated 
for the rest of your life. What Jesus came to do was take that guilt off and to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have a renewed and a free conscience that can walk with the Lord daily in new obedience. And so that brings us to Christ's third role. Christ the King also overcomes corruption. First, Christ the prophet overcomes ignorance. Second, Christ the priest overcomes guilt. And third, Christ the King overcomes corruption. Look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, our king will not overlook the abuse of this precious gift of the Lord's Supper. He defends it because we need to see the seriousness of the blessings, but therefore the seriousness of the curses involved as well. This supper is covenantal, and the Lord brings very real consequences upon its abuse. There have been a variety of attitudes over the centuries towards the Lord's Supper by God's people. There are many people, unfortunately, that are very lackadaisical about the supper. They're not careful to eat at all. They mock the Lord's Supper by not taking it seriously. For them, it doesn't matter who administers it. Um, Some have even blasphemously used pizza and Coke as if those were elements that could be used in communion. Such lax views are much more similar to what the Corinthians were experiencing uh, during the, the time that Paul wrote this letter. There was chaos in Corinth, and Paul had to come and rein in the way that they were abusing the, the Lord's Supper and their lackadaisical uh, way of living. And so, Scripture tells us uh, that God will not tolerate these things, and it says very clearly in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. If we don't take communion seriously, then we may receive the consequences of weakness, sickness, and even death for mocking the Lord. But as sinners that we are, sometimes we can… the swing the pendulum from being lackadaisical all the way over to becoming legalistic, right? There are some Christian traditions where there is only a handful of people in the church that actually partake of communion. They view themselves, or maybe the elders only view this small handful of people as actually worthy of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Yes, we need to take God's warnings seriously and to receive the whole Christ by faith as prophet, priest, and king, but we ought to fear the Lord in all the things that He has said in His Word and to not place heavier burdens on God's people than what we ourselves are willing to bear, because that was the practice of the scribes and Pharisees. It says in Matthew 23, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Right? So we cannot 
uh, examine another person's heart. There's no way for you to read and discern and know perfectly exactly what's going on in another person's heart. The elders are called to examine a person's profession of faith. Is it a credible profession of faith? But you cannot determine a person's heart. And so that's why the warnings of God are placed upon the consciences of God's people so that they can judge themselves and discern whether they recognize what is happening in this supper or not, and whether they should be partaking of that supper. And so, it's God's Word that should be convicting, not the legalistic hedges that man creates around it. So, when we appeal to individual consciences, then we can partake of the Lord's Supper and experience real freedom and and freedom from corruption and true liberty, right? So, not lackadaisical, right? Not legalistic, but true liberty. Jesus provided this supper for sinners, and sinners we are. We need to grasp the weightiness uh, of our sin so that we can then appreciate the fullness of the grace that we are receiving through Christ. And that means ten looks at Christ for every look at ourselves, right? When we examine ourselves, we need to look at Jesus ten times more than we focus on ourselves. So, that is why this supper is taken seriously and why it is a proclamation of the person and work of Jesus. But Jesus invites us, thirdly, into this kingly role that He has by judging our own souls. We read in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Do you see the grace of our King? He took our place and endured such hostility against Himself to enable us to know what it is to walk under the pressure of temptation. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, "'Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons?' My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he, when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Now, none of us like discipline, but the Lord demonstrates His love by showing us where the boundaries are. Boundaries are like guardrails so that we don't go over the edge to our own destruction. Now, I don't know where your heart is this morning. Perhaps you have resisted the Lord in significant ways, and you hear Him calling you back to Himself. Have your sins brought you the satisfaction that you were seeking, or have they brought you only disappointment and an even deeper black hole just demanding more. That is the only thing our sins ever give to us is that black hole that desires more. It's never, ever, 
ever actually satisfying. Hear the call of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Repent of your sins and find true freedom of conscience as you learn to walk with Him in the light of life. He who calls you is faithful, and He will surely do it. Amen. Father, as we come to You and acknowledge, Lord, our own hypocrisy, Lord, we know these things. Hardly anything I said is probably even new to our ears. And yet, Lord, we still recognize this fight with the variety of temptations in our lives, and we ask that You would renew us in obedience. Help us to recognize the foolishness of our sin, to recognize it will never bring what the lies promise that it will and that You alone can bring satisfaction, that You alone can help our hearts know the love and the care that we need so desperately, and that it is only found in a satisfying way by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your faithfulness. Enable us to praise You with all of our hearts, both in song as well as in the celebration of this supper. For Your glory we pray. Amen.